Hello and welcome to another episode of A Spoonful of Recovery. Just as usual, we've got a few trigger warnings. We'll be going through symptoms of illnesses and mental health. So if you find any of those challenging, this episode might not be for you. Okay, so today we have Amo. If you'd just like to introduce yourself. Thanks. My, my name is Amo Raju. I'm 53 years old, of Indian Sikh background, born in the UK. That's it. I've got a got a long line of jobs I do, but uh, that will take a whole program in itself. But most people know me as uh, an influencer, campaigner for disability rights. Have been doing so for twenty eight years. I, mean, I run a number of disability related projects, and um, recently I won the outstanding achievement in the for the British Seek Awards. So uh, that's very very recent. So I'm. I'm I'm still talking about it, which is why I'm <laughs> I'm sure you can keep mentioning it in the podcast. That's fine. I might, might do once or twice. <laughs> can you just tell us what you've been diagnosed with? So I have a, um, a condition, a medical condition that's referred to as cerebral palsy. It's diplegia, which affects the right side of my body. Uh, I walk, but I, my gait is slightly different to, to, to the mainstream walk. I walk unaided. I don't use any sticks or anything unless I'm having a really, really bad day, which is, you know, here and there. I've had several orthopedic type of uh, surgery on it to uh, to try and cure the, um, the, the actual uh, situation that I'm going through. But none of them have really worked, if I'm entirely honest with you. One or two of them have actually made me worse off. But, you know, today, children who have got this diagnosed with the same condition, they have a different type of treatment now. They, use, they do a lot of Botox injections uh, into the muscles uh, where children have got that um, extra stiffness and spasticity. But that wasn't available to me when I was a child. So uh, hopefully it, you know, it has advanced in some of the procedures around it. But, but yeah, here we are. <laughs> and when were you diagnosed? So I, uh, I was born in 1968. My parents noticed by the age of one and a half that I still wasn't walking, that I was I was shuffling around on the floor or the, the, the doctors just said he's just probably just a slow baby. By the age of two, I think they realised something's not quite right. And then that's when, that's when the, 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 the hospitals and consultants diagnosed and he's definitely had, he's definitely got cerebral palsy. And just to, to let your, your uh, listeners and viewers uh, understand how, it's, how, how cerebral palsy happens, it's, it's a deprivation of oxygen at birth or shortly before or shortly after birth and my mum says I was a breech baby uh, she had to have cesarean section I think I got the umbilical cord wrapped around my neck and, and starved myself of oxygen for a few seconds which probably caused the the condition so that's what what caused it by the looks of it and uh, so yeah it was about it was about it was about two and a half three when they really really started paying attention to why I wasn't walking and even then, my dad did the old, mum and dad did the old the Indian remedies and started taking me to, to some experts. To, to I can remember there was a, an ex-wrestler in Birmingham that they took me to and he started massaging my legs. I was about three or four years old and it, it hurt, really hurt. But that got me walking. That got me walking. And I, I can't, I, you know, I, I, I'm not going to fault it. You know, they, my parents swear by it today that had, had they not done it, it, I probably still wouldn't have been walking. So, yeah, there you go. 
And what did life look like for you growing up with cerebral palsy? Well, you know, children are, in, are innocent. Uh, even, uh, uh, even as a child, I didn't know I had cerebral palsy. I didn't know one had actually ever said anything to me mm. until I was about, I would say, I, I, I had my first surgery, orthopedic surgery at the age of seven. And even then I didn't realize this was something to correct my walk. I just thought maybe all kids have surgery. I don't know. Because yeah. the, the, the ward that I was on, there was lots of children on there. So I thought there's, all kids have surgery at some stage. And then I had second surgery at the age of nine. And that's when I really realized something's not quite right. Because mm. all my friends around me weren't having surgery. And, there was, and, I was, and I started examining myself as I was walking. And, and so, some, yeah, so clearly something wasn't right. And I never quite recovered from that because they, they, the surgery involved clipping the uh, muscles underneath my both sets of knees and relaxing the hamstrings, which made it difficult for me to, to kneel down anymore after that. Mm. Uh, children always like to kneel down, play around on the floor and stuff, and I couldn't no, not, could no longer do that. So, yeah, something wasn't quite right after that. And so psychologically, the world around me started to, to change. And did anyone say anything to you at school, even like your teachers or any of the kids where they pointed out that? No, my, my friends, uh, I, I remember, you know, some of them are still around me today. Friends at school, primary school, were the best I could have had. You know, they were include, they included me in everything. I was never left out, never left felt to feel that anything was different. The world changed when I got to secondary school. Yeah. That's when children in a mixing in with a new set of friends because all friends go in different directions after the primary school. And I didn't have that solid support structure around me anymore. Yeah. Uh, and and the, world, the world began to change because then, without revealing too much, I mean, I, I have, you may or may not be aware, but I've written a book. Uh, there's a book called Walk Like a Man. And in there, there's several uh, examples of how I was felt to to feel at school um and so yeah it was it was the world became a very different place then not so nice shall we say yeah and how did you cope with that because there's loads of people who come on this podcast and a lot of people do go through stuff mentally and dealing with how the world suddenly changes like you can't take part in certain things that would be deemed normal in life so how did you cope with that you know you know the physical stuff by by the age of 11 12 i'd realized by then that the, my my physical limitations were were real yeah i you know shook hands with that conversation and realized that's where it's going to be but it was the mental torture and i'll call it torture because I started getting bullied by, by, by some children who were younger than me, actually. They actually started mimicking my walk and made me, you know, I, I, I began to question, you know, what, 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 why are they doing that? Nobody had ever done that to me before. Yeah. And so I became, psychologically high effective, I became a, like a, an A-star student. Within a year, I dropped right down to not, not giving the monkeys anymore about how I did at school. And I, I looked for any excuse to not go in, you know, call in sick. And, and, you know, my parents were, were they, I don't, they didn't cotton on. I didn't tell anyone, didn't tell anyone that I was being bullied. 
I did tell the teachers and it, they just, you know, it was a different time then. Teachers weren't as active in, in dealing with how, how they should do with bullies. And, I, and I, so I just kind of plodded on and let it affect me mentally. And, it, and that, that was a, a whole thing around, you know, how children can get affected by conversations and, and actions around them. How do you cope now with the you know, diagnosis that you have? Because you seem to be doing a lot of advocating and work around it. Well, it's, it's, it's not a case of coping now. For, for me, it's, I, many years ago, I came to a conclusion that the condition I have has to be used for the betterment of society. Mm-hmm. I can, you know, and here's a conversation that many disabled people could have, I'm not saying should have, but could have, in that I have a condition and it's with me, it's going to be with me for life unless, you know, the almighty comes and waves his magic wand, which is highly unlikely. So I've got a condition and I can either do something with it to better society and better the opportunities for my peers, Mm -hmm. or I can sit and hide in a hole, or I can try and and just manipulate my way around the job market, the the relationship market, all that kind of stuff, and and hope for the best. But for me, I, you know... There's, if you, there's a question that you ask a lot of comedians and a lot of people who are successful in life. Uh, the, it's the same question is asked to them. And I get the same th- question asked to me is like, what drives you? What makes you what you are? And the answer is, for me, it's been pain. Mm. Pain is the one thing. When, whatever pain you've got, physical and mental, you're wrestling that demon and eventually you, you will win that demon. And then you just, you just turn it on his head and you say, right, this is what I'm going to do about it. Yeah. So, you know, and mental health is one of those things that I've only, I would say, two, three, two years, three years ago, maybe at the most, started talking about. Why only recently? And I may know partly the answer to this, but why is it only recently you've started to talk about mental health? Is it the pandemic? Is it just now's the time to talk about it? It, it was actually before the pandemic. Uh, before we even knew about the coronavirus, I was, you know, up the stage in my life and my career and in my relationship with the outside world that I was starting to, to, to reflect on what have I achieved? What have I done? What have I done with my life? And whilst I, sit, I could sit back with pride and say, yes, I've done, I've done a fair amount. When you start to reflect, you start to also acknowledge what it was that was bothering you. Mm. what it was that was you know you know 2000 and 2018 yeah 2018 which isn't that long ago you know that's when I finally I think yeah that was the actual year when I realized I'm okay I've had mental health problems and I am going to have mental health problems but I'm not going to let them control me yeah. I'm going to and today people say you have depression and I say no I have a relationship with depression I call that because that relationship sometimes I come out on top it's like a marriage sometimes my wife gets away sometimes I get my way and it's the same thing with depression sometimes depression wins and 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 when it wins with me for me I just sit in a a bit of a dark hole have a think and then I I will eventually I know I will snap out of it 
Yeah. Uh, but I have to go through the processes that, that it has to satisfy its hunger on me, let it feed on me for a bit, and then I'll, then I'll come out. Have you had any external support, like speaking to someone, like a therapist? So, yeah, I mean, in my book, the book is based on the real-life stories of, of Amo Raju. The character is called AJ, and the secondary character is called Sonia. Sonia is the counsellor. He had a... I, in, in real life, I've had three decades of secret counselling that I never told anybody about. I didn't tell even tell my wife. that Nobody knew to this, and it was only in 2018 that I started saying to my wife and my children, yeah, this is what what I was doing. And the only reason I told them was because it, I thought, I'm going to write a book soon and it's going to come out. <laughs> I'd better sit down and tell my family before they start reading about stuff about me, which they didn't know. Yeah, that'd uh, be a nice surprise. Like, oh, okay, every yeah. Thursday, was that, was that where you were going? <laughs> well, I mean, in all honesty, I hadn't been for counselling since 2018. Last, the last sessions were about seven, 2017 and 18, roughly around then. And, but after that... It, 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 you know I've, I've my mechanisms of coping I've started to deal with and and so yeah so I, I did receive help you know I uh, and one of the stigmas for men and then men from the South Asian community is to seek help and they don't want to seek help because it's yeah. not seen to be macho does worry about what your mates might say in the pub when you go when they find out you're going for counseling that's one of the reasons I did it right why I wrote the book that I, I thought I mean, I have a lot of male friends. A lot of people do know me. And I thought, as soon as they realise that this guy who they consider to be successful and, and doing well has had some, you know, demons to wrestle with, you know, th th then they might start thinking about their own lives, thinking, yeah, you know what, I, I, maybe I've had some troubles. That's, that has happened. A lot of people have come up to me, a lot of women have started coming up to me and say my brother or my husband or my dad you know and they've all started and, and I think that's a good thing yeah because nobody from from the South Asian community to my knowledge nobody from the South Asian community had come out and put pen to paper and said I've got this going on in my life and I'm not ashamed of it yeah and I think it's so important because once you can see the representation it makes that conversation easier how did your family and friends react to you being in counselling? Yeah, well, you see, some of my family to this day haven't commented on it. And that's not a bad thing. That's not because they're ashamed or anything. It's because they probably just thought, you know, it, it's something he went through and he didn't he tell us about it for whatever reason. Some have, 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 have had upfront conversations and said, good on you. Great. Okay, if you couldn't reach out internally, as long as you were talking externally, my wife's reaction was the best. She just got, she gave me that confused look as, what? Uh, uh, you know. But even then, she was, she was glad. She goes, well, at least somebody was talking to you. And she goes, and her, and she still says it to this day. Once you once you read the book, because I I didn't really tell her much about what was going in the book whilst it was being written. Once she read the book, she goes. It, now I realise why you are the way you are. I, I, I didn't, I didn't, she goes, I lived with you all these years and it, and it didn't click with me why you're so angry, frustrated and, and the things that annoy you, I, I can see it now. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, the reaction's been really good. My friend, my best mate was the great, greatest example in that, I mean, my best mate is in the book, but 
you know, he didn't know to the till the very last day. And even now, the great thing with him now is he started talking about stuff with me that we probably wouldn't have talked about before. You know, we start talking about disability. We start talking about um, yeah. mental health, which is things that blokes don't typically talk about. Yeah, definitely. And what do you think needs to be done, especially in the South Asian community? Because I'm sure we've both faced stigma and there's still that kind of taboo or what will people say? And I had it myself where it was, no one's going to want you, no one's going to marry you. Oh, don't, don't be too open. You know what people are like. So uh, you, you, you really need to read my book. <laughs> you really do. Uh, there we go with the plug. <laughs> what do you think needs to be done? Yeah, the the um, South Asian community has got a long way to go. Yeah, because it's. You just have to go to places like India and Pakistan and Bangladesh or, or, or wherever, and you'll see that disabled people are still on the, at the bottom of the food chain to some extent. 100%. Um, that disabled people are still a disability, illness, chronic illness, whatever, and particularly, particularly those that are not visibly seen. Someone who doesn't visibly look disabled, there's nothing wrong with you. Why are you, why are you being like that? You, you know there's there's it's still there's a lot of education that needs to happen and there's a concept within within the particularly the indian community uh, whether you're sikh or whether you're hindu is about reincarnation and again it's in the book but how there's this thought that you if you're disabled now it's because you did something wrong in a previous life and so you, you, when you've got that kind of mentality ingrained into your DNA, mm. you're not, it's not easy to unpick that and, yeah. start, and start to change people's minds overnight. It's going to take years, if not decades. Before, it'll take generations to start challenging that and say, nah, you're talking a load of rubbish. And the only way it is really going to change in the South Asian community. And people say this to me, and I didn't realize this, but you know, by me being out there on social media a lot and, and being interviewed or being on the TV or, or whatever, the South Asian community is looking at a disabled person differently, saying, okay, they can achieve things. And I, I, get, I get this a lot with, with parents of newly diagnosed children, with whatever condition they've got. I get so many parents saying, we want you're giving us hope our child our child has just been diagnosed with x xyz condition mm. but and, and once they've got over that initial kind of process of of, of getting the information to, to through their through their heads then they start trying to realize what can this child achieve and then they say well we see people like you and that gives us hope yeah so i think yeah that this the south asian community is is has got a long way to go i'm afraid yeah, I definitely feel it. I know there's people who've said to me on TikTok, oh, I always see you talking about FND. You're the girl with FND. I mean, what is it? Is it even that bad? Because you look fine to me. And I'm like, you're younger than me. And you're saying this, like, give me some hope. But then there's some people who are like, thank you so much for saying something because I can now show my family that someone else has got like a brain condition. And here's the thing, you know, I... I was in my 20s in the 80s and you know the, what's scary is that today let's move the clock forward 40 years so 30 40 years the the South Asian community is still stuck in that time zone yeah 
you're going through exactly what I went through all those years ago. That annoys me. That the rest of the world is moving on, but here it's not. And I'll and I'll go as far as saying. And I know we've just talked about the South Asian, the subcontinent, but you'll find at some stage India and Pakistan and Bangladesh will overtake the the the, the attitudes in India, Pakistan and Bangladesh will overtake the South Asians that uh, diaspora that's outside it, there, you know, the people who are living in the UK or USA or Canada, their parents are still stuck in that time zone from the 50s and 60s and 70s. And whereas the rest of the, the South, uh, South Asian subcontinent, they're moving forward with their opinions. Yes. So I think we're gonna, there could be that, and I've, I hope it's not the case, but it, there's a good strong chance that that could happen. <laughs> When you met your wife, how early on did you tell her about cerebral palsy? Well, I didn't have to tell her, she could see it. <laughs> um, my wife's story and I, my story is quite different. See, here's the thing, uh, again, another chapter in the book, which you, I don't want to spoil it for too many people, but you see, it was soon told to me as a child that nobody will marry him. Yep. So, you know, I, I overheard that conversation by, by some of my elders. And so, as soon as the first opportunity I had as a teenager, I started rebelling. So I, I basically started sticking the middle finger up to the, the, the South Asian mentality that you think no one's going to have me. Well, I'll, I'll prove you. So I went out and started chasing girls the way any other bloke did. Um, and it was, I'm just going to say this sounds sound quite weird, but I never struggled with female attention because, again, children and teenagers were innocent they didn't look at my disability that way mm. my wife my wife to this day still says i don't sometimes i don't don't realize if i forget you're disabled i don't realize it and she doesn't you know if your heart's pure you're not gonna you're not gonna look at that and and i get this question asked a lot by south asian uh, teenagers and and people who have who are worried about have that same thought that i had all those years ago that no one's going to want to marry me. No one's going to have a relationship with me. And I always say that all you're doing is you're hanging around with the wrong crowds. If if you're hanging around with the crowds that going to, that are going to reject you, then you you are in the wrong crowds. You got to be with different people, and and that's you know and that's the hardest thing for a lot of people to process because sometimes they think, well, I don't want to lose my friends. I don't want to be with you know. But if your friends are going out and having lives and getting on with things, then that's great. That's good for them. Brilliant. But you've got to look after number one and if yeah. number isn't getting the relationship and the attention you, you know he or she truly deserves and you've got to look different differently i do have to say it's very tough out there the market is quite tight <laughs> so some of us are struggling it's like okay i mean i do have to say that i have cut out a lot of people from my circle who yeah. just could not accept the fact that i have a long-term condition it was like when are you going to get better they were quite impatient with me oh you've had medication and I'm like I'm sorry I'm an inconvenience <laughs> and then I just started to think well why my friends with certain people so I just found new people to hang out with and it's I always say no a lot more whereas before I'd be like yeah let's go let's do this because I don't want to miss out whereas now I'm like actually that's going to wipe me out for three days Shayla, I'll give you some very simple advice. I wouldn't go around looking for people, to be honest with you. I wouldn't go around yeah. looking for a social circle. 
what, what, what I found and, and the one or two people I had that have actually listened to my advice. Because one thing I said to everybody was, you know, just do your thing. Whatever yeah. you, wherever you're doing, whether you're whether you're doing a degree or whether you're just started your job or whether you're or, or whatever you're doing, just focus on that. You'll find the relationship will find you. Yeah. Somewhere that will happen. But if you focus on that, because what ends up happening is a lot of teenagers and, and people in their 20s and even early 30s, they're fixated with finding the relationship. Mm. That their the career and their education suffers instead. And that time's gone then. Yeah. So I say, you know, someone will, there is someone made for someone out there. You just, you can't force it. It's going to happen itself. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> if I if I don't find anyone, I'll just be like, listen, right? I'm not waiting. <laughs> <laughs> it'll it'll happen itself, and and you know you can't. As I say, you can go through, you can go through life. As I say, trying to to chase what what they call kismet. You can try try and chase your kismet, but that's not going to happen. That's not the way it works. Fate comes looking for you. You can't you mm. can't go looking for it. And and you know. As I said, I, I was so busy as a teenager. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I did go around chasing girls and stuff. But it was, when I say chasing girls, it was mainly one girl. That was my wife. She took two years to say yes to me. But uh, <laughs> that's only because she was just a sweet, innocent girl that didn't want to go out with anybody. <laughs> um, and eventually she gave in. But, you know, I mean, even then during that time, you see, again, not many people may know this, or all of Telelights. A lot of people do know this. But I used to be a singer, a singer. I used to be a singer in a band. I spent my time just getting out there on the road, doing my thing. Yeah. Just, just building up a name for myself, and it's it was one of the best experiences of my life. Mm. And as a South Asian, a disabled person with cerebral palsy, singing in front of a crowds, large crowds, getting people to dance. Wow, well, you know, you, you, there's no bigger buzz. There's no mm. big ones, and so not many non-disabled people could say they've done that. Yeah. In fact, most non-disabled people could say they've done that. So yeah. you've just got to go out there and do your thing, live your life, and you'll find that those relationships will just come for you. Fingers crossed. And <laughs> um, what is it that you're focusing on next? So you mentioned you've got a book out. You do lots of like press interviews and work around disabilities. What's next? I think what that that is. You've hit the nail on the head. I. I seem to be spending, and, and I think a lot of it is due to the book. The book has got me noticed on a national and, and even international scale. I've done interviews in India, uh, Sri Lanka, USA, Egypt, Australia. So the book is getting me known everywhere. And people want to know about the story. They want to extract and learn from it, which is a good thing. I'm happy now to, 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 to spend a lot of time, and this may sound strange, but I'm happy to talk about myself. If people want to talk about me, then let's talk. Let's, you know, find out what, what makes me tick, what drives me. Because I, what, all I want to do now, Shayla, is, is, is really energise your generation. You guys are now, you know, I'm getting old and knackered. At, at some stage, I want to put my feet up and start enjoying life a little bit more and, and, and spending time looking at nature and sitting in my garden with a pint of beer. I want, I want to start doing that kind of thing now. But I still think there's work for me to do. So I am just picking projects now. I still do my day job and that keeps me fairly busy. 
it's a, my day job is my route to to channel my frustration and anger because I come up with projects or, or ideas and then my my staff and managers go out and make it happen so I, I think I'll still do that as long as I can but what my main thing now is to drive your generation your, your generation so I've just opened a TikTok account I haven't got any followers yet I've just, and, and I'll, I'll follow you <laughs> well I haven't even posted any videos yet so don't worry uh, but I'm, I'm going to go out there and start talking and getting people to to understand that it can be done that this, there is a story there and you know there's 60 chapters in my book and at least one or two chapters will resonate with every person and it's it's not about you know for me is when i wrote the book it wasn't about making millions of pounds out of the out of you know the income from the book it was about getting the story out that's the the thing that's been so well received people are loving the fact that there's this really funny story it's a funny story when you read it it's really kind of energizing a lot of disabled people a lot of people from our south asian community particularly are saying wow this is great and and the interesting thing is a lot of the people who have bought the book aren't disabled yeah not, you know my my big thing when i was writing it I thought yeah this is great it's going to be aimed at disabled people but most of the people that are bought it don't have mental health problems and aren't disabled yeah and so i thought wow brilliant this is this has gone far far beyond what i thought it would yeah and just a last question say somebody's been diagnosed with a condition or a disability and they're finding it hard to accept they're not getting any support from friends and family or specialists what advice would you give them the easiest thing i can say is keep talking keep asking for advice the NHS isn't what it was when I was a child. You won't get appointments to see your GP and ask for help as long as much as easy as I could. Yep. What you will find now is to go out and you guys have got something that I didn't have. You've got Google, you've got social media. Go and find people with your condition, whatever condition you've got, guaranteed someone else has got it out there. Yeah. And so if someone else has got it out there, Chances are they're, they're wearing the T-shirt with that disability on it. So yeah. you, you, it's, you, you just go need to talk to them and say, you know, there's only a one or two that will turn around and say, no, nah, I don't want to talk about it, leave me alone. Yeah. The vast majority of people will say, all right, let's have a chat. This is what I went through. You'll go, peer, peer support is the best support you're going to get. Yeah. My, and my, my email address is open. If somebody's got a condition and, and wants to talk to me, I don't care if I get flooded with thousands of requests. Honest to God, I don't, because mm. that's what I want to do. I want to try and say, right, this is what you need to do. This is what we need to talk. Let's talk. Let's have five minutes on the phone. What's your website if um, people want to get in touch with your Insta? It's my... my I will add the link. Yeah, my website is uh, amoraju.com, A-M-O-R-A-J-U.com. I, my, my Insta is amoraju official. My TikTok I've opened is amoraju official. My e my Twitter is at Amo Singh Raju, and you can even connect with me on Facebook. Just find Amo Raju. I think there's only one or two of us. <laughs> awesome! I'll add all the links in as well. Um, but any last words? Any last words? Not really. No. I mean, look. Well, look. The the only thing I will say is there's no such thing as a last word. The conversation's open. <laughs> you know, let's keep talking. Let's let's. You know, even with you, let's keep talking. Even with all your listeners, let's let's talk. Connect with me. Let's let's have a conversation and be open, upfront, 
don't be afraid of 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 talking about stuff that nobody else wants to talk to so you you a lot of disabled people with conditions and particularly uh, people from the south asian community and i'll go as far as saying girls yes a lot of girls from the south asian community are contacting me because i don't know maybe they see something that he's been through something similar talk keep talking to me do not there's something drilled into our society as 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 youngsters that we shouldn't talk about things yeah we shouldn't talk about what's on our mind all i can say is when as that as as the years and days and weeks and months go by that just manifests and get worse gets worse keep talking the lightest and and you'll find that eventually you'll start laughing about it yeah and i mean i 2020 was the worst year of my life and i just didn't want to be on the planet anymore and i was just told to feel guilty for being ill and then i got to the point where i hid it and then i opened up about it and then i just went ah oh, f it i'll just open a tiktok account and start talking about the weird things people have told me to do like just be happy smile and it'll all go away and i'm like yeah i'll just ignore dropping on the floor shall i i'll get better and just i've started to just find it quite sarcastic and just deal with it well you're you're right cuz you know the <laughs> What's the, what what is it everyone says to you when you when you when you know stay positive yes chin up yeah it's lovely weather outside you should be enjoying yourself they they give you that kind of stuff and you think yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> you, you you feel like telling them where to go don't you yeah. but the truth is you know you you eventually you start as i say when when we have that moment that light bulb moment in our life where we say it's a relationship and then you start to start to overcome it and start to live a little and re- as i say reach out talk to me reach to, re- reach out to me if you don't want to reach out to me reach out to you there'll be people like you out there shelly you're talking quite confidently keep the conversation going the conversation should never stop because for centuries our community has oppressed that conversation it doesn't want to have it, it we are cons- you know they say the children should be seen and not heard well disabled children shouldn't be seen at all that's that's what our community has had i echo that very highly so we really need to kind of stand out there stand proud you, you know and 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 get out there beating our chests and say bring it on we, we're here and we're yeah. going to change the world i think it's like 100% like that's why i started the podcast the business because i was just like how can that many people try and convince me i'm a burden for having okay. something that's not actually my fault and what if we just talk about it and try to navigate life with it because i'm the one who has to deal with it and live with it and like people can make all the remarks but you just sit there with your thoughts and i think i just got fed up with myself i was just like i can't do this anymore so i'm either going to have to stay in this position or i'm just going to have to get up and fight for myself yeah you you're right and it, 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 in my story in my book there's a character called kamla aunty Now, Kamala Aunty is the is is the embodiment of all the negatives about our society, and she, and she is the the character. She and I think, and this may sound strange, and again I call it a relationship. You yourself, Shayla, and people like you and me out there needs a Kamala Aunty, because that is the person that we we want to constantly have our fingers stuck up to, and say, yeah, I'm doing it for you. whatever i'm doing out there if i'm successful it's because i want to smile at you while i'm doing it yeah. uh, so you've got to 
you, as I say, you've got to have those people there, that society that's been oppressing us, we need that society. We can't exist without it. We're, we are who we are because that society has made us like this. And now we just say, okay, I'm ready to do battle with you. Yeah, I've definitely had loads of people reach out to me and be like, I'm so sorry to hear what happened, but I'm so glad you're talking about it because now I feel like I can talk about it because you are. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) something, something's going right. Thank you so much for being part of this. And I wish you all well. And you've plugged your book so well that I will buy it. (laughs) (laughs) Jolly good. It's available on Amazon. It's actually on offer at the moment. Amazon have put it on offer. So do that. Yeah, I guarantee you people will. There's, I've yet to have a complaint about it. People have said it's inspired them. It's, it's made them want to talk. And that's all I want. I just want people to talk. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you very much.